Welcome back to the Bible in Context. Merry Christmas, Nate. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Caleb. <laughs> We're actually going to be taking a break since it's Christmas week from the book of Genesis because our church has been going through a mini-series on the first chapter of John. So today, I'm going to do less of the talking. Nate's going to do a lot more of the talking and going to lead us through some of his study, some of the things that he hasn't been able to bring out in the sermons on John 1. So, Yeah, that's a game plan, and uh, I figured it would be good for us just to start by reading uh, the first 18 verses, which is what really, we're not covering the whole chapter of John, uh, or John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 18 verses, which is basically like the prologue to the Gospel of John. And within this prologue, you really see all the major uh, key points that that get played out throughout the whole gospel then. Um, And so everything is introduced in these first 18 verses. And you're you're going to notice that John really jumps into the deep end of the ocean right at the very beginning of his gospel uh, and bringing Jesus into this cosmic realm or showing that Jesus is part of this cosmic realm. And so I'm going to jump in, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gave light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace through and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So <clears throat> that's the that's the prologue of John. So Caleb, I wanted to ask you, just as we've been studying and walking through this passage, what uh, has really struck you? What what um, uh, what things within this passage have really stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot in there. But I guess on a high level, the the things that stand out me, to me the most um, in the first little bit there, you've got the kind of the callback to creation, um, just introducing the, the book in the same way as Genesis. Later in this section, we've got the um, kind of callback to the Exodus. And and then you, you mentioned that this book sets up a lot of the themes that run throughout the book. And just, I haven't 
spent enough time studying how this uh, this phrase and this motif is worked out, but that continual motif of receiving and believing in his name is just a motif that runs throughout the book. Um, I don't know what all we're going to get into today, but those are a few things that just really stand out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you see the themes of light and darkness and uh, the, the importance of re- receiving Christ and, and believing in his name so that you may have eternal life. That theme runs throughout the, the, the book of John. And so today, this is what I, w- I want to do. I want to I want to talk about the, the, the context of John and, and who John was writing to and, and the purpose of John and why John is so different from the other Gospels. And, and then I want to break down this, uh, this uh, prologue and, and kind of show you the literary structure of it and, and just where you're absolutely right. You see references to Genesis, you see references to Exodus. And then we'll, we'll conclude by just kind of summarizing what we see here in the pl- prologue and then focusing in on the, the invitation that's at the very end of the, 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 the prologue. And we'll conclude with that. So let's talk about the, the context a little bit uh, of John. So what do we know about John? We know that John is an apostle, that he was one of the first disciples of Jesus. Uh, John actually never refers to himself as John. In his gospel, he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. That's uh, that, that's how he viewed himself. That his whole identity was wrapped up in the fact that Jesus loved him, and I think that's significant. Uh, this gospel is really anchored on the fact that John was a, an eyewitness to Jesus, and we see that over and over, and that that. Um, is reflected again in the first letter. Uh, the, the beginning of the Gospel of John and the beginning of First John really mirror one another. And, and you see this ref- this proclamation of John saying that, look, I, I, I witnessed these things. I saw these things with my own eyes. I, I touched Jesus with my own hands. I mean, I heard him with my own ears. And, and that's emphasized throughout this Gospel. Uh, we know that John... Uh, was uh, he, he wrote this gospel? He wrote the the, the three letters. He also um, wrote the book of Revelation, and so he had a very intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. He was one of only three that got to experience the Mount of Transfiguration. He uh, sat right next to uh, Jesus at the at the Last Supper, and so uh, of all the disciples, it seems that John. Uh, had a unique relationship with Jesus, uh, a very intimate relationship with Jesus. And Jesus revealed more to John than uh, I think any of the other disciples because of that, And if you count the the book of Revelation. And so he had a a unique perspective uh, that that the other disciples maybe didn't didn't quite have also, I think. Um, There's a good chance that John was... Uh, a church leader in the uh, in Ephesus, um, and I'm getting some of this from. I've got a, a dictionary of the later New Testament that that talks about that. I'll, I'll read a little bit of that um, to you just to give you a little bit more uh, background information. So early traditions indicate that John planted churches in Ephesus. Uh, Eusebius, the fourth century century historian, quotes Irenaeus. Uh, this is 130 to 200 A.D. 
the Bishop of Lyons, who tells us that John was a leading ecclesiastical figure in Asia Minor. Uh, He goes on to say that clergy from throughout the area would travel to Ephesus just to learn from John and hear his stories about Jesus and how how did Irenaeus know all of this? Well, Irenaeus says it was confirmed to him by Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, who in his younger years was instructed by John himself. And so uh, we've got this rich history of... um, John being this figure who was really looked up to. Uh, these, the, the Gospel of John is really a collection of John's favorite stories about Jesus. And they, um, uh, they, they really, they, these were meaningful stories. In fact, the, one of the differences between the other three Gospels and the Gospel of John is that uh, John doesn't focus on uh, miracles as much. Instead, he focuses on what he calls signs. That they're, they're, They are miracles, but there's a story inside the story. It's that, thematic. Yeah, it's thematic. And in fact, in the first half of the Gospel of John, there's seven signs. The first one being the miracle where Jesus changes water into wine, and the seventh one being the resurrection of Lazarus, which kind of mirrors the end of the Gospel of John, where you have the resurrection of Jesus, of course. And so uh, that, that gives you a little bit of the, the context of John. J- John um, was probably written later than the other Gospels. Uh, it, it's, it's unique. Uh, the other Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels because they have a lot in common with each other. Uh, they, uh, in fact, the Gospel of Mark is ninety percent of it is quoted in Luke and in Matthew. John, ninety percent of John is unique to John. There's a lot of uh, different differences between the Gospel of John and the other three Gospels. Uh, there's a great article uh, on the Bible Project that really. Uh, shares a, a lot of the differences, the unique style and content. There's differences in the chronology and the geographical movement. So in the in the Synoptic Gospels, the first part of Jesus' public ministry occurs in Galilee, where Jesus teaches and heals, and he repeatedly comes into conflict with the religious leaders. And, and Jesus eventually makes his path, uh, makes his way south to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And we, we see in, in John's gospel, though, that he actually makes repeated visits to Jerusalem for various festivals. There's actually three Passovers mentioned in the gospel of John and, and three other festivals that are mentioned there, too. And so that, that means if you read the synoptic gospels, you might come to the conclusion that Jesus only had a ministry for about a year. Where in John's gospel, it's evident that he, his ministry lasted to three to three and a half years long. There's also differences in the style and the literary form. So in the synoptic gospel, they, they tend to be made up of these short episodes um, known as periscopes, which are strung together rather loosely in a narrative sequence. Um, uh, you come to John, though, and you find these very long narratives uh, and, and a lot of discourse 
um, conversations between Jesus and individuals, like Nicodemus in chapter 3. Uh, there, there are other um, stories followed by extended back and forth debate between Jesus and religious opponents. And so there's a lot more interaction between individuals and, and John's Gospels. Or John's Gospel. Uh, there, there's also a difference in Jesus' message and uh, his self-identification. It's more like the, um, the Gospels are not different in the sense that John has a completely different message. But there's a difference in emphasis, though. So in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus' central message is concerning the coming of the kingdom of God. Uh, you see Jesus healing, and there's exorcisms that are meant to demonstrate his, his power and his authority. People are called to repentance and, and to believe in the good news of the kingdom. And so in this way, they, they enter into the kingdom and they receive God's promise of salvation. Jesus tells parables of the kingdom to describe its nature. But then you come to John's gospel, in contrast, there, there's no parables at all in John's gospel. There, there, there's no exorcisms in John's gospel. Uh, Jesus' teaching focuses much more on his identity, his unique relationship with the Father, and the, the fact that Jesus is both the eternal Son who has come to reveal the Father and that salvation comes by knowing the Father through the Son. Uh, for example, John fourteen six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The, the synoptics, the, salvation is primarily described as entrance into the kingdom. In, in John's, it's, it's primarily... No, it's knowing God and eternal life with him. And it's not that, like, like I said, uh, it's not a different message. It's just that's what John emphasized. He, John actually does talk about the kingdom of God also, but just not nearly as much as the synoptics. In the synoptic gospels, Jesus is identified as the Messiah, and, and that's put on center stage. Uh, and the word Messiah means anointed one, and it refers to the promised king and savior from the line of David, uh, who would save God's people from their enemies and establish God's kingdom. John, he portrays Jesus more as, he, he doesn't focus so much on the Messiahship of Jesus, but he focuses more on the true humanity of Jesus, but also the true deity of Jesus, that, that Jesus is both uh, God and man. And you see that very much highlighted here in the prologue of John. Questions so far? <laughs> One thing I've wondered about the book of John, um, when you read it, there is this heavy theme of those who are able to believe and then a majority of the Jews who just will not accept him. And then whenever they ask him questions and he explains himself, it's very much, um, it feels like Jesus is very much saying, you know, who's on first, what's on second, I don't care who's on third, you know. <laughs> it's very like, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and it's just this very back and forth, cryptic, circular language that he uses. And it, it seems like he is, uh, in, in some sense, he's trying to reveal truth to his audience, but he's also trying to confuse some people too. So what, what's going on there? Yeah, there there seems to be this this way of of speaking that John uses, and I think Jesus used, that was meant to help those who 
had come to the point where they have a, they've trusted in who Christ is. They they said, "I want to be on Team Jesus." They, their allegiance was with Jesus, and so they're they're listening without this kind of critical mindset, and they they could hear what Jesus was saying and understand it, while those who are still listening to Jesus with this much more critical mindset that really were like, "This guy's crazy." Um, they would listen to what he was saying and it would just confirm that he was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> if that, I think that may be what's going on. I don't know. Does that no, make sense? No, yeah, I think so. I mean, that, that sounds a lot like, you know, Isaiah's ministry where it's kind of like if, if they're not going to believe anyway, just solidify that. But those who are going to believe will hear your message and will. Yeah. 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 I, I think it, it really helped kind of separate those who believed and those that, that didn't believe. He, he talked in, in such a way that... Those were bought. Those who were bought in, it it affirmed what they were believing. But those who uh, were critical and really uh, just refused to submit their lives to Jesus, really were uh, were put probably put off by it. Yeah, the, those who were loyal to Yahweh heard what he was saying and and believed it. But those who wanted to try and discredit him based on semantics and yeah. just his word choice had all the grounds to do so that they wanted. Yeah, and he gave yeah. them that ammunition. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, um, I know Jesus talked about like the the disciples of Jesus actually asked him why he spoke in parables, and and that was basically the response that he gave to them. He, he was speaking in parables so that those who uh, refused to believe would continue to refuse to believe, um, and that that there would be certain things that were hidden from them until they were ready to to fully commit and and believe in him as as the Messiah. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, that's just making the, the seed of the serpent continue down that path of the seed of the serpent, which we've talked about too in other, other sermons and I think other podcasts about how, um, this isn't a, a wholesale rejection necessarily because there are times where, um, the seed of the serpent turn and come to Yahweh. Prime example being Nebuchadnezzar, but yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And it wasn't the, I mean, I, I think Jesus had a heart for the unbelievers and, and desired them to, and that's what you see in the Gospel of John over yeah. and over. I mean, he, he's pleading with the unbelievers to believe in Jesus, and, and that's um, that's really the purpose of this this gospel. Um, and we might as well go there right now. So John chapter 20, so at the very end of the gospel, he finally just plainly says what the, the purpose of his gospel is. And he says this in verse 30. He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. And then in verse 31, he, he says this, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That, that was the purpose of him writing this gospel, is that he would convince those who were not yet believers to believe and then because they believe they would have life in his name let me back up just one step and talk about the differences between the gospel of john and the other gospels and why there's these differences i've already talked a lot about the differences already but i want to talk about why this is and then i want to talk about the structure of the prologue the, the literary structure of the prologue and so this, uh, uh, this has been a question that I think people have debated 
over over the years. But the the reason I believe that John is so much different than the synoptic gospels is that John was more than likely writing in a different context and at a different time and he's dealing with different issues and writing to a different people than those other uh, other gospels and so John is addressing issues of importance that are a concern for the church of his day Would one of those things be the the word the yeah logos? yeah yeah so uh in Greek philosophy, the the word was a significant term. Uh, the the logos was a term that was used in Greek philosophy to describe um, this impersonal force. Um, much like like if you're into Star Wars, right? <laughs> the the force is something that is talked about throughout the the Star Wars uh, movies as this impersonal. Life force. It holds Life all things force. together. It holds all, it's in all things. It holds all things together. And if you can connect to it, it'll, it'll kind of give you superpowers or super knowledge. And I hate that I just quote, called that quote to mind. Yeah, you, well, you, didn't even, you didn't even have to <laughs> think about it, did you? It was just right there. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that was very much part of the, the Greek philosophy back then. Then And so John, is in, in the very beginning of his gospel, is saying, yeah, let's talk about the Logos. Let me tell you what the, the Logos really is. It's not this impersonal force. The Logos is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he is the creator of the universe. And everything was created by him and for him and through him. And he is worthy of our worship. And so... So yeah, that was a, a major uh, emphasis at the beginning of this uh, of, of this gospel that, that John is addressing something in his real in the real world uh, that that he wants to to correct. Um, yeah, and it's cool that in uh, Genesis, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about this eventually too, where the word is. Uh, something that is used to refer to Yahweh himself. And so here John is taking this Old Testament image of the word as Yahweh and the Greek idea of the word as this, you know, force or whatever, and saying, look, this force is actually a person, and that person is the Old Testament Yahweh. And yeah. it's binding these two things together for the Greeks who are reading his language. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, his audience would have been a mixture of uh, of. Jews who had been spread out and have been living in the Greek culture, but they knew some of the Old Testament. Uh, and, and then he he's also talking to these these Greeks who knew nothing of the Old Testament. And so that's a significant difference between the Synoptic Gospels, where the Synoptic Gospels seem to be really emphasizing more on uh, convincing Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, where John has a much broader context that he's writing to. So that, that's one of the major differences in why his gospel is is so much different. Um, so the synoptic gospels were more than likely written in the fifties, between the fifties and the seventies, so earlier on. And the and the burning issue for the church was showing that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Uh, a fulfillment of the Old Testament promises um, and, and how his kingdom has arrived, that God's kingdom has arrived and, and Jesus is the king who is ushering in this kingdom. 
and um, uh, or John is writing somewhat later and the church is confronting different challenges. Um, there, there's false teachers that have arisen within the church and some of them are challenging the deity of Christ and, and they're claiming that he is not fully God and, and others are questioning his true humanity, denying that, that God could become a human being. And so from the very opening lines, John is confirming both the full deity and the true humanity of Jesus. Um, and so we see right at the beginning of, of, of the Gospel of John 1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so uh, this brings us to the, 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 um, the literary design of the prologue. And uh, what we see here is actually another chiasm. There, there's, a, there's a sandwich here, like I've talked about before, and it centered, the, the center, the meat of the sandwich, the center of the chiasm is in verse 11 and 12, where he says this. He says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that goes back to what we talked about is the purpose of this gospel that, that uh, those who are not yet believers would come to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and they would become children of God and they would have eternal life because of that. And so that, that structure is significant. Um, you also see in the structure that you have some introductory statements. So you'll also see in this literary structure uh, some introductory statements at the beginning. And then there's a mention of John the Baptist and then there's an allusion to Genesis, and then there's another mention of John the Baptist, and there's a, and then there's allusions to the Exodus. And so, of course, you've got, at the very beginning, uh, really a quote from Genesis 1, in the beginning, right, was the Word, and the Word was with God. And so you got some uh, references back to Genesis there. Uh, you also have uh, that, the idea of the word that comes from Genesis, where, G, where Yahweh spoke creation into existence. Uh, the, the idea of light comes straight from Genesis also, uh, where God said, let there be light. And so now he, uh, he's saying that, that Jesus is the light. Um, you also see the idea of life comes straight from Genesis also, as God creates life for the first time. And then uh, you got the mention of the witness, which is uh, John the Baptist, and he was prophesied in the Old Testament, specifically in Isaiah and in Malachi. And he's a witness to uh, the light. He is not the light, but he is a witness to the light. And then you've got the, the center of the chiasm talking about uh, he gave the right to become children of God. And then you go back to, the, the word is again mentioned in verse 14. The word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is a word that in the Greek... Skene. Skene, okay. And I think so, it's like a, a verbal uh, form of it, but yeah. Okay. It's the word tent or tabernacle. Yeah, and, yeah, it, and so in the Septuagint, that's the word that's translated uh, for tabernacle from the Old Testament. And so it's this idea that the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. He... He, he set up a tent, and this is uh, references back to Exodus, where, Jesus, where Yahweh set up 
uh, a tent, the tabernacle, in the midst of their camp so he could dwell among his people. And the, the promise was that they would go into the promised land and he would dwell with them in the promised land. And so here we have Jesus coming uh, as God in the flesh, dwelling among us. And, and I believe the in verse 14, the, the us there that John is talking about is the apostles, the, the original disciples, that he walked with them. And he and again, it's this emphasis, emphasis that John has that he was an eyewitness of Jesus. Um, and he says there in verse 14, and he uh, we have seen his glory. We have seen the, the glory of God, the, the, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the, the, and that phrase, grace and truth, is probably a reference back to Exodus also. And in, in Exodus 34, 6, where um, Yahweh describes his character as one who is full of grace. Um, and what are the Hebrew words? It's like emet. Yeah, yeah. So these, um, the words here, gracious uh, and tr- grace and truth, um, they're partially they're the pull from all over in the Old Testament, but where they right. uh, appear in reference to Yahweh's character, the most repeated verse in the Old Testament, uh, Exodus thirty four six, is He is gracious, He is chen, and He is faithful or truth emet, okay. um, which comes into the the New Testament often as pistis or faith or um, loyalty reliability. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and so there, there's a. Um, just some rich references to, to Exodus here at the prologue. And John's very intentional about that. And so I, the last thing I want to just point out, there's a lot more that we could talk about. I mean, the, the, there's an ocean of, of meaning in this passage. But at the very end of the prologue, in verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known and so it's really interesting that at the very end of the prologue in the greek this is actually an open-ended sentence so it's almost like the sentence uh has no ending to it and and john's intentional it's not that he forgot to put an ending onto the sentence he leaves it open and, and so i'm going to read from this is from francis j maloney um in his book belief in the word uh, reading the fourth gospel. And he says this, the use of the verb explain slash make known in Greek, it's exogemiae without an object as the very last word of the prologue has created considerable syntactic difficulty. The verb comes, the verb comes at the end of the sentence and thus at the end of the prologue, it leads the reader directly into the prose narrative of the life of Jesus through the the chi or the the word and that opens verse 19 um so the the object of the verb him referring back to god must be supplied by the reader from the context and so what he's saying there is that john intentionally left the the sentence open ended without an ending to encourage you like you want to know the answer to the question of about like okay how is he what's what's made known well let me tell you by sharing the rest of the gospel with you. And so that's the that's how he ends the prologue, with this kind of open-ended uh, sentence that causes you to ask the question, okay, what is he made known? Or who is he made known? And he spends the rest of the, the gospel explaining that. So 
that's a that's the conclusion of what I'm going to talk about also. And I uh, enjoyed this uh, excursion away from Genesis and looking forward to jumping back into Genesis next week. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for taking us through the book of John and just um, taking us through the study you've done. Yeah, just, just really bringing a lot of the, the finer points out of this text that uh, we just, you know, don't have time to talk about in a sermon, but are so beneficial for us to know as we, as we go into this book to learn about John's message about Jesus. So, yeah, thanks for taking us through that. Mm-hmm.